Thank you. I, I knew I was here somewhere. Good morning. Uh, for those of you who may not know, that was Michael Card, a wonderful Christian artist who was singing his song, That's What Faith Must Be, from the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Good morning and welcome to our brand new series called Seeing with the Eyes of Faith. We're going to talk about looking at life from God's perspective. Now, this is kind of the, the, the series in between the series. You know, we've just taken a, a good bit of time, and we've talked about, I love... Woohoo! Yes! And right after we're done with this series we're working on now, then will be the Christmas series. So this is kind of the series between the big series, our big kickoff for the fall, which was I Love Sundays, and then our Christmas series. So we're doing this one in the middle. Now, just before we get into this, uh, somebody sent me this picture uh, last week from their I Love Sundays group, and I want you to notice it. Um, isn't that awesome? What they're doing is they're eating ice cream... Sundays, yes, they're eating ice cream Sundays. So no matter how you spell Sunday, I love Sundays. And uh, one way or the other, uh, it's a great, great time. So I want to thank the Averick group for forwarding that to me and letting me know that they do love Sundays, uh, however they choose to spell it and eat it. So, um, so we're going to be now moving forward. And as uh, soon as you give me back a little control here, we'll be all set. <laughs> oh, there we go. We're good. Um, so we're going to be moving forward into this series called Seeing with the Eyes of Faith. And what we're going to be doing is today I'm just going to be looking at the issue of faith, what it is and how we exercise it. Next week I'm going to speak into the topic of seeing myself as God sees me. We live in a really unusual day and age where most people don't have a true sense of identity anymore. People have to create their own sense of identity. And people are all over the board. They're like waves on the sea. They're tossed to and fro. So people don't even know who they are anymore. Next week, we're going to talk about who we are in Christ. It is going to be powerful and it is going to be beautiful and I'm excited to share that wonderful truth with you. Uh, right after we vote uh, on the Tuesday, Matt Duransky is going to do uh, a message called Seeing My Country as God Sees It. And what you're going to realize in that message is that God has priorities and plans for our country that may not be the same as ours. But it's important we step into and understand what God is doing and what God has planned. And then right after that, Matt's going to do Seeing My Neighbor as God Sees Them. It's a wonderful correlation with the previous one. And then I'm going to end this series at the end of next month, right after Thanksgiving, by looking into eternity and seeing what God has waiting for those who love him. So my hope, my prayer coming out of this series is that we will be different. You see, faith changes you. And faith through the Word of God ultimately radically transforms how you see things. So my prayer is that we will all be different as a result of this series together. What I'd like to do right now is, is I would like to pray for us. And uh, as I pray for us, I want to remember uh, Dennis and Kathy Fay. 
Uh, Kathy's mom uh, went home to be with the Lord yesterday morning. Uh, Dennis didn't say anything about that, so I'd like to pray for them. And uh, plans will be forthcoming. And uh, as Dennis mentioned in his prayer, uh, Joey, my son-in-law, um, is in the hospital right now. He has a collapsed lung. They're not exactly sure how it happened, and if they can reinflate it, that's great. If not, he'll have to go to surgery uh, this week. So all that to say, there's much to pray about. So would you uh, bow your head with me? Let's take a minute, pause in the presence of our God and Father, and ask for help. Father God, thank you for your amazing love. And right now, uh, I pray that your love, through the person of the Holy Spirit and the person of your Son, would just come around Dennis and Kathy at this time. That, Father, you would just uh, make them feel your presence in a very powerful way. But let us not forget that in a very real way, we are your hands and your feet here on earth. So help us to come alongside them as well. Put our hand on their shoulder, take a moment to pray with them, bring them some kind of tangible help, whatever it may be. May they know they are loved, loved of God and loved by us. Father, right now I also pray for Joey as he's lying in the hospital, not exactly sure what's going on. I pray, Father, that your presence would be with him as well. Help Mariah to minister to her husband in love, and I just really pray, Lord, for Joey to come through this in the way you want him to, and that our prayer would be for good health. So we just commit them to you as well. Father, we are about to step into a series that's impossible without your enablement. I pray for that enablement in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, amen, amen. I guess we're still working things up there, so I will let them work things. Oh, here we go. <laughs> take, take, take me off my step here, man. I'm sorry. Um, I want to begin by telling you a, a story about a young man, uh, William Walker, when I was seven years old. When I was seven years old, my family moved from the house that I was born in in South Portland, Maine, to a brand new subdivision in South Portland, and I went to a brand new school, and I was a second grader. The school I went to was Helena Dyer School. And they did something in that school that we just didn't do in, in the other school that I had come from. And that was one day every year, they would have the medical personnel come in from the local hospital, and they would give the entire school physicals. And so all the girls would line up over here, all the guys would line up over here, and you know, they would take you in and they would do your height, your, we your weight, your blood pressure, they would tell the little boys, turn your head and cough, all that good stuff. And so they did this for the entire school of kids. They would give us immunizations, they gave us hearing tests, and they gave us vision tests. It was just how they did it back in the day. I remember going in and sitting in a chair with this woman, kind of a stern-looking woman, who was administering the eye test. And I remember putting my face into this machine and, and not really being able to see much of anything that she was telling me about. And so when I was done with that eye test, the woman said to me, you need to have your parents take you immediately to see an optometrist. I was a second grader. I was seven years old. And I could tell by the tone of her voice I was in trouble. I had no idea what I had done. But somehow, something called an optometrist was going to hurt me. That's all I knew. I didn't even know what an optometrist was. So my parents took me to the eye doctor, really for the first time. And the eye doctor put me through this, this uh, process. And they discovered 
that I had the hereditary walker eyes, two very strong stigmatisms. In fact, my eyes without glasses, my vision is 2200, which is legally blind. And I had no idea. And so they, they got me glasses, needless to say, and they were these ugly plastic things. You know, they, they were kind of brown and had like stripes in them, and, and the lenses were huge, and they had these funky twists in them because of my eyes. Listen, the first thing that I really saw with clarity and texture and definition was me putting on my glasses for the first time and looking in the mirror. And I remember putting them on and looking at myself in the mirror and thinking, that is the worst thing I have ever seen in my life. I hated them. I just hated them. And so shortly thereafter, somehow, they got broken. I don't know how, and that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. But they were calling me four eyes and all kinds of bad things, and so somehow they got broken. And I did not get them replaced until I turned 16 and I had to drive. So I went almost all of my childhood with, with, with vision that was basically 2200. Uh, thank God. My vision today is correctable to 2020 uh, by the goodness of God. But, you know, I still remember putting those glasses on for the very first time and seeing for the first time with such clarity. You know, that wasn't the greatest shock to my vision. That wasn't the most profound moment of, of seeing. That moment was actually reserved for when I became a child of God. And for the very first time, I could see. I could really see. You see, physically, once I was blind, but now I see. Spiritually, once I was blind, but now I see. I can see creation. And I can understand the motivation and the reason behind the creation. I can look around and I can see why things are the way they are. I understand why people do what they do. I can see and understand you. I can see and I can understand myself. I can see beyond the grave. I can see the future and I can see all the way into eternity. You see, it's one thing to have 2200 vision and put on a new pair of glasses and be able to see yourself, the true self, which was shocking. But it's something else to be able to see the world God created in a way that nobody else sees it. We are going to consider together, beginning today and in the weeks to come, how this world is to be viewed from God's perspective. And what I want you to understand is it's going to be transformational for us. So what I would like to ask you to do with me right now is I want to invite you to take your Bibles. Take your Bibles. That's an important phrase. You're going to hear it over and over and over again. Take your Bibles and join me today in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Today we're going to talk about seeing with the eyes of faith. I love the quote by C.S. Lewis that says this. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. What do you mean? Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else.
And in a very real way, that's the privilege of being a child of God. Not only do we see it, but we see everything else by it. And so, Hebrews chapter 11, we have a wonderful definition in this chapter uh, called the great faith chapter of the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 11, notice with me what the writer of Hebrews says uh, about faith. He says this, Now faith is the, what? Of things hoped for, it is the of things not seen. This is, if you will, a definition of faith. Now, let me see if I can unpack it a little because it seems very nebulous. He says this, Now, faith is the assurance. The word assurance literally means substance. It has the idea to make something tangible. And he goes on to say this, It is the conviction. The idea is evidence or proof or the reality. So when you kind of put it together with that mindset, what the writer of Hebrews is saying is this. Faith is the assurance. It is the substance that makes tangible the very things that we hope for. That's what faith does. In fact, it is the conviction. It is the evidence. It is the proof. It is the reality of things that are not even seen. What he is saying is this. Faith is a unique form of knowledge. It literally takes that which is invisible and makes it visible. It takes that which is, which is yet future and makes it present. Faith has the ability to do that. Faith is a unique form of knowledge. It is a special way of knowing. A very special way of knowing. It is a, it is a tool that the believer uses to understand the world in which they live. Just as scientists use uh, the, the method that they use uh, to understand the world in which we live. It is its own form of knowing or knowledge. Uh, I appreciate uh, this man. Uh, his name is Dr. Francis Collins. Uh, Dr. Collins is the man who oversaw the Human Genome Project. Uh, he is presently the president or the lead uh, at the uh, NIH, the National Institute of Health. Uh, this is Margaret Schmidt's boss. Margaret, are you here this morning? I don't see Margaret this morning, but this is Margaret Schmidt's boss. Neat man of God, an incredible scientist. I'd like you to hear what he has to say to Charlie Rose in, a, in an interview that he had with Charlie Rose. Just a couple of minutes, but what he says is very powerful. Listen. Academia is supposed to be searching for truth, yes. and there are various ways to search for truth. Science is the way to search for truth about the natural world. But if you're looking for truth about the spiritual world, science is the wrong set of tools. It's not going to get you there. You need there to understand the tools of the spirit. But is what gets you there faith? Is that it? Ultimately, it leads you to faith. But let me say, I think this notion that faith is somehow the antithesis of reason is completely wrong. Explain why. So faith is, in fact, the most rational of all choices when you sort of look at the spectrum between atheism and belief. Let me tell you what. Imagine this table represents all of the knowledge that ever has existed or will exist in the universe. A lot of stuff. Right. And then ask any individual, where in that table is your own personal knowledge right now? And even the most confident of us will draw a tiny little circle. Now, suppose the knowledge of the existence of God is outside your tiny little circle. 
how then could anybody who's not a wacko say, I know there is no God? Is that not the most irrational position? Does that not require the greatest faith of all? I would argue that already in our little circle, there's evidence of the existence of some supernatural being. The Big Bang, for instance. Did the universe create itself? I don't see how that could happen. God created the Big Bang? Well, something outside of nature presumably had to preside over the creation of something out of nothing. And when you look at the way the universe is tuned, where all of these constants are precisely having the value that's necessary for matter to coalesce and for life to be possible, it's almost impossible that such a thing would have happened. The probabilities are infinitesimal. That sort of makes you wonder. Even Stephen Hawking, who did not come at this exactly as a believer, writes in his book, The Brief History of Time, this has religious significance. And it does. So you can look at the logical evidence and bring yourself right up to the cliff's edge of saying it makes sense that there is a God. It is the most rational thing there is to think that there is indeed a God. And so the scientific method goes so far in understanding God's general revelation of himself in the natural world. It does a very good job of understanding that. But there's this thing called faith that takes us beyond the scientific method into the spiritual world which underlies everything. So what he is saying is there are tools. There are tools for the scientists called the scientific method, but there's also tools that take us beyond that into the spiritual, which is the tool of faith. Again, he makes this statement in his book, The Language of God. The meaning of human existence, the reality of God, the possibility of the afterlife, and many other spiritual questions lie beyond the reach of the scientific method. Science is not the only way of knowing. Notice this. The spiritual worldview, i.e. Bible, provides another way of finding truth. Scientists who deny this would be well advised to consider the limits of their own tools. Amen? So there is the scientific method. It is fine and works well in the realm it was designed for, general revelation, nature. But there is another tool. There is another thing called faith that operates in this thing called the spiritual world, God's special revelation, the Word of God. And so this is his understanding, and I appreciate what he has to say. You see, faith is the assurance. It is the substance that makes tangible the things that we hope for. It is the conviction, the evidence, the proof, the reality of the things that we haven't seen yet. This is what faith is. This spiritual capacity, this thing called faith, is something that is given to us the moment we come into relationship with Jesus Christ. Because the moment when we are born again, the Spirit of God comes into our lives. The Spirit of God is a person within the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is the third member of what we would call the Holy Trinity, the Godhead. And so he is the one who was charged with coming over the writers of Scripture to write exactly what God wanted written. When the Holy Spirit takes up his residence in our heart, we can now interpret the things that the Spirit has written from God in and through the Word of God. So the Spirit of God is absolutely essential for true understanding of this spiritual world, these spiritual things. I love the way the Apostle Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 2, 11 through 14. For who knows a person's thoughts 
except the spirit of that person which is in him. Uh, Paul's reasoning is this. Who really understands your motives except for you? Who really knows what you're thinking except for you? See, we can observe from the outside in, but we don't really know what's going on inside. Only you know the truth about what you're really thinking. So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God who dwells in, in the Father, in the Trinity. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Notice, purpose statement, that we might, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So we have a spiritual capacity to see beyond the physical realm where the scientific method works perfectly. But beyond that, there is the spiritual realm, and the tool we use is the tool of faith. And that faith is given to us when the Holy Spirit enters into us. Paul goes on to say this, And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are indeed spiritual. But notice verse 14. The natural person, the person without the Holy Spirit, doesn't even accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly or foolishness to them, and he is not able to understand them because what? You got it. So this idea of faith is, as the, the scientific method in the natural world, faith is the tool we use in the spiritual world. It is given to us in and through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives who wrote the Word of God and interprets it to us. So in a very real way, you could say that faith is kind of a sixth sense that the believer has that the unbeliever doesn't. I appreciate these words uh, by a man by the name of John Phillips in his wonderful commentary on Hebrews. Notice what he says. This is good. Faith is a kind of spiritual sixth sense that enables the believer to take firm hold upon the unseen world and bring it into the realm of experience. All our senses do this. The eye takes hold upon light waves that are pulsating through space and makes real to the person the things that they see. The ear picks up sound waves and translates them into hearing. But there is a whole spectrum of waves beyond our senses. We cannot see them or hear them or taste them or feel them, but they're real. Nevertheless, and with the aid of modern science and instruments, we can pick them up and translate them into phenomena that our senses can handle. So too faith. Faith reaches into the spiritual dimension and gives form and substance to heavenly and spiritual realities in such a way that the believing soul can now appreciate them and grasp them and live and enjoy them. Amen? If you're a child of God here today, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, you have been given a sixth sense. The ability to perceive and understand a realm that lies beyond what is obvious. You can see into the future because of this work of the Holy Spirit. So just as the scientific method makes perfect sense in the natural realm, so too in the spiritual realm through the aid of the Holy Spirit, we have this thing called faith that makes real all the truths that come to us from God. Again, I love the way the writer of Hebrews puts it. He says this, Now faith is, it is, the assurance, it is the substance that makes tangible the very things that we hope for. 
It is the conviction. It is the evidence. It is the proof. It is the reality of things that we haven't even seen yet. This is faith. This is faith. So faith is a unique knowledge, a way of knowing that the Holy Spirit gives us that hugely influences how we understand life and how we live. Now, what I'd like to do is spend the next few minutes together, and I want to give you some FYIs as we prepare for this series. Now, the word FYI usually means for your um, information. Uh, this FYI means for your instruction, okay? And so we're going to put forward some truths found here in Hebrews chapter 11 that will help us to understand how faith is meant to work and how faith is, or we're going to operate in faith as we make our way through this series. So, with that in mind, in Hebrews chapter 11, open in your lap, the first thing I want to say, FYI, for your instruction, is this truth, and it's very important. I want to talk to you for just a moment about the content of faith, the content of true faith. Let me ask you this. What is it that we place our assurance and conviction in? Yes, what is it we place our assurance and conviction in? Yes, the obvious answer is God. God is the one that we put our, our assurance and our conviction in. But how do we know God? How do we understand God? How has God chosen to reveal himself? Yet, yeah, through the word of God. Through the word of God. So let me answer the question I just offered you. The answer is, we place our assurance and conviction, our faith in God, who has revealed himself in and through the word of God. You see, it's impossible to have biblical faith unless your faith is in the Bible. Yeah, you can do that one too. It's impossible to have biblical faith unless your faith is in the... Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So it is essential that we understand that the Bible is the source. It is the content of our knowledge. This is key. This is very key. In fact, the Bible has been referred to as the rule of faith and practice. It is the rule of faith and practice. Uh, the word that we use for faith, here the word faith is, is uh, pistis, uh, pistis, pistis, that's the noun. Uh, the word pistis for faith sometimes is actually picked up by the writers of Scripture and they add the definite article to it, which means this thing called faith, there is actually something called the faith. And the faith is the word of God. Let me show you what I mean. Um, in Jude, the little tiny book of Jude, way in the back of your Bible, he says this, Beloved, Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you to contend for what? The faith. Not just faith. I want you to contend for the faith. The faith is the word of God that was once for all delivered to the saints. So we are a people of the book. We are a people of faith. 
And if your faith is not in the book, then you don't have a biblical faith. Does that make sense? So this is the content of the believer's faith in Christ. Uh, this isn't the only place this occurs. Uh, likewise, Paul, in writing to Timothy, his young protege, he made this statement. Timothy, if you put these things before the brothers, what he's already talked about, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Now, I'm going out of my way to emphasize the importance of the Word of God when it comes to the issue of faith, because most people have faith, right? Faith is not unique to the child of God. Everybody has some kind of belief system or something that they put faith in. What makes faith truly valid is not having it. What makes faith valid is the object in which you place your faith in. And for the Christian, for the child of God, the place where we place our faith is in the Word of God. Or maybe, maybe better said, we put it in the God of the Word. This is key. Because today, most people have a belief system. But it's all over the place. You know, I one time was in church and heard them say, do you know that Oprah said this? You know, my neighbor one time told me, my parents thought and I believe. And so a lot of people have faith, a faith. But it's a very eclectic faith. And it's a faith that is not a biblical faith. And it's a faith that the Bible would not call a, a true saving faith in the person of God. You know, when it comes to faith, sincerity is not the only criteria there is because you can be sincerely wrong. You're not supposed to say that today, right? Well, I'm afraid it's true. You can be sincerely wrong. You can be dead wrong. There is this little ditty that I've done here before, but it just it's too good to not share. Little Jimmy Brown is no more for what he thought was H2O was H2SO4. Sulfuric acid. You see, you can be sincere, that's water. Huh? No, it wasn't. And so too, I have faith. I have a faith in a God. I have faith, and it's this jumbled, eclectic group of stuff. But biblical faith is faith in the... Biblical faith is... One more time. Biblical faith is faith in the... There we go, the God of the Bible, absolutely. It's imperative that we get that. And, and what I want to say to you is this. As Matt and I do this series called Seeing with the Eyes of Faith, we're going to take you to the Bible. We're going to take you to the Word of God because this is the only way we truly know the truth. And so this is essential for biblical Christian faith to be in the Word of God. So that is one aspect that I wanted kind of FYI. The content of our faith is the Bible, and it is in the God who wrote the Bible. But the second thing I want to say, and it comes here from Hebrews chapter 11, which I want to encourage you to read, by the way. Awesome book, awesome book, awesome chapter. Read Hebrews chapter 11 if you want your socks blown off. Um, secondly, I want to say this. I want to talk to you just for a second about the character of true faith the character of true faith. 
And this actually comes from Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Notice what it says. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God, him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who do what? They do what? Absolutely. What Hebrews 11.6 is making clear is this. True faith, biblical faith, is more than just orthodoxy. It's more than just a right understanding of the Word of God. As important as that is, that is not what a full Christian faith is. We have an understanding of the Word. We have an objective understanding of the truth of the Word. We have right doctrine, but it's more than that. It is more than that. True, living, biblical faith is a living and vital relationship of love and obedience that pursues the living and rewarding God through His Word and knows Him personally through experience. Amen? we got to move beyond just saying, I know it. Do you know him? That's the point of the word. Does it move us beyond merely the, the black type on white page? I understand this. I've got it. Doctrine's good. Well, how's your relationship with God? No, my doctrine's good. No, no, no. How's your relationship with God? My doctrine's good. Okay, check that. You've got good doctrine. How's your relationship with God? Because it takes both. There is a rational, logical objective side to true faith. It is the Word of God. Faith is a volitional and rational act of resting our trust on the facts and the rational uh, inferences that we draw from the Bible. But, but, beyond that, faith is the all-important relational act of trusting in God Himself. So there needs to be a necessary experiential and subjective side to true faith that calls us out to love and obedience. Does that make sense? You need both. You need both the truth of the word and you need a heart that embraces it in love to have true biblical faith. Let me show you how Jesus put this. Again, we need the content of faith. We need the word, but we need more than that. Jesus said, the hour is coming and now is here when what? True worshipers. These are people who have true biblical faith. Amen? These are people who have a right relationship with God. They're called true worshipers. They will worship the Father in what? And for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. It takes both truth and it takes spirit. That spirit is not the Holy Spirit. This spirit is our passion, our relationship with God. So it is incomplete to have cold orthodoxy and worship him. He's not looking for people with cold orthodoxy. And it's not enough to merely have zeal. He is looking for truth, knowledge that is on fire. Those are the people God is seeking to worship him. Amen? This is biblical faith. This is biblical faith. It's grounded in the word, but it's busting out of my heart. It is a pursuit of God to know him and to love him and to serve him and to enjoy him forever. 
This is biblical faith. This is true faith. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. Because James had to come along and had to kind of give a little bit of a corrective measure to remind us, hey, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says, hey, I got faith, but he doesn't have works? Or in other words, that faith isn't working. <laughs> Can that kind of faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and is lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go and be, be, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things necessary for the body, what good is that? Also, so also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is, you got it. You see, you can have orthodoxy. Orthodoxy means uh, correct doctrine, right teaching. You can know the truth. But where's your heart? Where's the spirit? Where's your passion? Some of us are passionate without good knowledge. Some of us are knowing without passion. But true biblical faith is the welding together of knowledge and passion. It's truth on fire. That is biblical faith. With that in mind, not only will Matt and I be using the scripture to look into the topics that are before us, but we will also try to give application that will help us love God and love others better. Because without that, it was just a fun exercise. Thank you, Pastor Bill. It's meant to change our lives. It's meant to make us different. And boy, oh boy, warning, warning. If you really step into this, what the truth of the Word of God says, and you weld your heart to it, you are going to be radically different. Notice the content of faith, the character of faith. Let me tell you a little bit about the conduct of faith. The remainder of the chapter of, of Hebrews chapter 11 goes something like this. By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Sarah. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Joseph. By faith, Moses. By faith, the people. By faith, Rahab. For time would uh, fail me if I were to tell you about the faith of Gideon, the faith of Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and all of the prophets. Now, let me ask you a question. What did Noah do? He built an ark. In a day and age where it's very likely it had never rained. Which means he built a 450 foot long, uh, let's see, uh, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet tall wooden boat on a plane, and it had never rained. I want to warn you, it's going to make you a little weird. If you're going to step into this, and if you're going to take the truth for what it really is, and you're going to apply your heart, it's going to make you different. It just will. It cannot not make you different. Uh, let me ask you about Noah. What, or Noah. Uh, Abraham, what did Abraham do? He did several things here in this chapter. But one of the things he did was this. He uprooted at 75 years of age and left the city of Ur, where his family had grown up and all his inheritance lie, and he went out not knowing where he was going. What? People look at him and say, you're nuts. Yeah, I am, because I'm following God and you don't understand. You see, this is what faith does. Later on, he would take his son Isaac up onto a hill, and he was going to offer him as a sacrifice. Don't ever do that! God told me to. Besides, I believe that if I were to kill the son of promise, God would raise him back from the dead. That's what faith does. Faith takes you out of the everyday ordinary and moves you into a realm where you now are living and moving by faith. No longer just by sight, but by 
this is where we're going. This is what this series has the potential to do in our lives, to radically change us. By the way, and I love this uh, statement uh, by A.W. Tozer. This is sweet. A.W. Tozer said this, you know, a real Christian is an odd number anyway. This is to make you feel good about yourself. Because a true Christian feels supreme love for one he has never seen, talks familiarly every day to someone he cannot see, expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another, empties himself in order to be full, admits he's wrong so he can be declared right, he goes down in order to get up, he's strongest when he's weakest, richest when he's poorest, happiest when he feels his worst, he dies so he can live, he forsakes in order to have, he gives away so he can keep, he sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and he knows that which passes knowledge. Amen? Here we go. Here we go. We're going to step into this. And we'll never be the same again. All right. I know most of you were singing it. I'm going to give you a chance to join in to this wonderful piece sung by Michael Card. Uh, a number of you knew the words, a number of you don't. I'm going to put the words up with it. But let's sing this together, shall we? To hear with my heart, to see with my soul, sing. To be guided by a hand I cannot hold, to trust in a way that I cannot see. That's what faith must be. When the universe fell from his fingertips, he decided he wanted some fellowship. But the man and the woman would not submit, so he made a better way. sent his own son and he opened the way so that everyone could have hope and believe that when time was done he'd be able to make us one thing to hear with my heart to see with my soul to be guided by a hand i cannot hold to trust in a way that i can I see what is unseen, you sing. To hear with my heart, to see with my soul, to be guided by a hand I cannot hold, to trust in a way that I cannot see. That's what faith must be. That's what faith must be. Wow, you just sang with Michael Card by the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Don't you feel awesome? This is the basis of our faith. Which means next week when we get together and we start talking about seeing myself as God sees me, we need to understand what the Word of God says. So I want to give you an assignment between now and next Sunday. I want to encourage you to read Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. It begins with these words. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It begins that way. 
And it only gets gooder as you get to the end. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you want a sense of your true identity and you know somebody else who needs it, join us next week as we get into the Word and by faith believe what God has to say. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we give praise to you that you, O oh God, would be willing to give us understanding of yourself, that you would speak from beyond our perception and give us revelation, knowing that which we could not know unless you told us. And we possess this in the word of God, how central it is to our existence here as Christ followers. I pray that you would help us even this coming week to see with the eyes of faith as we read through Romans chapter 8. Help us to draw that truth home to our own souls and to believe what you say in spite of what we may see or feel. Help us, Father. In the name of Christ, I pray. And God's people said, Amen. hallelujah. God bless you.